0: Hi, I'm Catherine, and I'm Teresa, and we are the co-authors of the book, Pass the Baton, Empowering All Music Students.
1: Our goal is to share stories of educators who are passing the baton and empowering their music students. We want to help teachers create music lessons that transform students from passive consumers to vibrant creatives. Welcome back to the Pass the Baton podcast. We are here to talk about all things student empowerment in music education. Before we introduce today's guests, we want to remind you, please follow
0: or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. In addition, if you like what you hear today, please consider leaving a rating or a review. That's what helps podcasts like Pass the Baton grow. Yes. Today was really fun, Teresa, right? Like as we were kind of mentioning, we, we've we had a little summer break. And so we've had a little time off from having some podcasts or talking to other people, but it was great to talk to Roger today um, and talk creative thinking.
1: Right. Yeah. And it was, it was neat because, you know, he was saying a lot of things that you, know you and I have talked about before, but to hear the really practical applications yeah. was wonderful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. in in the general classroom and general music, but also in the ensemble setting, like, and yeah. how some really uh, thing like practical things I could do tomorrow, you mm-hmm. know? So yeah, really. Was yes. Fun. I think people
1: will really enjoy it. Yeah. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. We're we're glad to be recording again. Catherine and I actually had a couple, almost a couple months off from recording. So yes. this is this is a nice treat to be back at it. And we're joined today by Roger Koss. Hi Roger, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks. I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah. So um it's kind of funny. I stumbled upon an article that you wrote for M E J when I was just, you know, doing some of my own reading and, and things like that. And then Last week, it was actually one of my assigned readings for one of the classes I'm taking right now. Really? I was like, oh, this is kind of oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a, like a learner centered, project based type course. So it was, it was perfect. It. We're like, ah, oh, this is meant to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, before we dig into the content, can you maybe tell us about yourself, a little about your background and, and your teaching role?
2: Yeah. So I am a, currently a elementary and middle school teacher. Uh, I teach at a school called Hickman Charter School out in California. I uh, was previously at another charter school for about nine years, and then at a small little private school in San Jose, where is where actually I got my start. Taught second grade for a year. Also got to do a little bit of music there. found out, hey, I really like this music thing. This is really fun. Um, and and kind of back up, when I first started teaching second grade, I was in a doctoral uh, – I was in my uh, – uh, First couple of years of my doctoral program, and um, I didn't have my teaching credential. And I thought, like, man, I I I really like teaching music. Like, that's something I really want to pursue more. Should I drop out of this doctoral program, and get my my teaching credential? Um, and so I had some wise friends who convinced me otherwise. They're like, no, 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 just finish it. Like, you can always go back for your teaching credential, which I did. And so uh, from there, I. Uh, Went to a, a charter school in Modesto, and was there for nine years, and that's where I really cut my teeth and um, learned to be a teacher. <laughs> you know, um, and it was a great experience, and, and and I'm sure we'll talk about this at some point. But just being at a charter school, um, and I know people have different feelings about being at you know about charter schools, but the they give you a lot of room to innovate, and there's that room to be able to do that. Um, and so I really got to try out a lot of these ideas that I had been kind of thinking about. I had been experimenting with, um, and then at my new role uh, here at Hickman, I just started this year, and so um, kind of kind of finding my way and figuring out what what some of these ideas mean for these students and for this school, and so. Um, I am married to my wonderful wife and we have a baby coming in January and so you know that's obviously taking up a lot of my my time right now Um, and I love rock climbing that's like I always got to throw that in there I always tell my students I love getting outside as much as I can Um, and so I always share those experiences uh, with them so that's a a little bit about a little snapshot of me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I love that you know you're talking about the fact that you really have taken these ideas and put them into practice to see what it you know what it is and how it's going to work with kids and that's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah,
2: and, and the article in many ways that's what I wanted it to be. Hey, here's what I'm doing. And here's what I found works, and I just and and it's been a while since I had uh, checked out that article, but I think I really started with the importance of exploration. Mm-hmm. From what I remember. Um, and that's just an idea that's just been really important to me as kind of a life practice as both a climber, um, you know, going outside, there's an exploratory aspect to it. Uh, but I just found it to be a really good classroom practice and a classroom tactic for behaviors as well, funny enough. Um, but so anyway, you you can uh, use this concept in, in many different kinds of ways. So,
0: yeah, well, and I guess to to so make sure everyone understands what we're talking about. Like the the article was creative thinking in music, or mm-hmm. that was the main idea was this creative thinking in music. Um, and so I think you gave us a little bit of your your why, but I guess is there um, was it just y- y- your um, perspective of how you'd like to live life and explore and do other things that kind of brought that to the music classroom, or what's the why between behind that creative thinking in music?
2: Yeah. So, so for further, my my musical context that I'm coming from is a primarily a jazz pianist. Um, I was a double major for a while in college. Um, That, that was tough, (laughs) you know, trying to pursue jazz and classical, you kind of just become okay at everything. Um, I I eventually just decided to pursue jazz. as my, as my focus. And so, um, so, anyway, so that's kind of my background as a musician, primarily jazz pianist, and a bunch of other little things. Um, but I, I just remember growing up, I I always wanted to compose music and never really knew how. Um, and, and and learning to improvise was a struggle. And I remember in high school, really, just like, man, I I can't figure this out. Like, what do I do? And I had some teachers that kind of helped me out, but um, it's just something I never really encountered in school. Um, and so it's something that I, I kind of a lifelong pursuit, learning how to be creative in music, primarily through composition and improvisation. And it was kind of interesting just doing the whole classical major thing. And, and, you know, this may rub some people the wrong way, but it, I'll just say it. And then if it'll spark conversation, that's great. Um, you know, in many ways, kind of playing classical you know classical music like it's just kind of music that's been composed before uh it it, to me it's it's very it's you're recreating something but it's it's i don't know how creative it is sure there are creative interpretations of pieces um but i felt like in many ways while my teacher was great at what he did and you know you kind of did it his way it it was i never I don't feel like I got to make a lot of creative decisions or I wasn't really told, Hey, here's how you make a creative decision. And there's different ways of interpreting this passage. It was more like, Hey, here's how to make it sound great. And he was right. You know, sounded great. You know, when I played it how he wanted me to, but the skill of learning how to uh, make these aesthetic decisions. um, I don't know if I really picked up much on that. So anyway, it's just kind of something that I've noticed in, 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 uh, my time where I went to school um, but I noticed oh when I went to play jazz I, I, I got to hey I got to be creative and make make my own decisions you know whether where they were great or not you know at least I had a teacher to kind of guide me and hey here's why this is this might have been a good decision or maybe not so
0: yeah yeah. We, I think Teresa and I both are on the same wavelength. Like you want kids to be lifelong learners and consumers and creators of music. And mm-hmm. so they have to have the confidence to think, you know, I, I know how to make those musical decisions Yeah, or I can figure it out. Right. You know, so they're not just, they, a lot of people, you know, just, you see that are like, Oh, I'm not musical. I don't know how, right. Like they've, yeah. they don't have that growth mindset because of maybe the instruction they've had or or whatever it is, but yeah, yeah. totally.
2: Yeah. And it's funny. Like, think of how often kids get to make decisions during the school day. Never, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then we get mad at them for making poor decisions. Like, well, when do we ever guide them in in making these decisions? Um, and and I say that as somebody who's kind of in the trenches. Like, no, no, I know what it means to try to give them decision making power because many of them, you know, you're you're going to get all kinds of different things. Uh, whether it be how to act or how to create a piece of music, you know, um, and 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 I don't know if I read this somewhere or if I thought I probably read it. I I'm, I'm not I'm not that uh, smart to think of this kind of stuff myself, but somebody I'm sure said, you know, when do what when, when during the school school day do kids get to be creative and use their imagination and make decisions? It's out at recess. It's not in the classroom. As soon as they come into the classroom, you know. We we take we take away that um opportunity to learn how to make decisions, aesthetic or otherwise. And it's just something kind of kind of thought about, like, man, in you know, my classroom, I'm you know, who's making all the decisions? It's an interesting filter to go and observe a classroom through. Who's making the decisions here?
1: And it's so funny it's, because uh, <laughs> I think so many people they say, but oh, but music class, it's creative. Like, It it can be if we we allow them to be creative.
2: Yeah. There's a wonderful lecture kind of interview by, uh, I'm not sure how to say your first name, Maude Hickey. Oh. I I might be butchering it, um, where she talks about, you know, if we structured an art, visual arts program, like we do music oftentimes, Um, and essentially like, you know, if all kids did was recreate exactly other art pieces, you know, it's like, well, that's not very artistic. You know, they want, they should have a chance to kind of create their own, but it's like, but we don't really do that a whole lot in music. And so I've really tried to make space in my music classrooms to let students be creative, especially through composition and her book. Um, I don't know if I have it here. I do have it. It is... Music Outside the Lines was just been groundbreaking for me. So if your audience, if you're looking for ideas, start with this book. This has been a great book uh, for starting that process.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. We'll make sure we put a link to that in the in the notes as well because that's a good a good thing. Yeah. So I guess you know now that we're we're thinking, all right, we're, we're realizing that our kids aren't making decisions and they're definitely not making creative decisions in a lot of t- classrooms. What does it look like in your in your music classes? And I know that's a very broad question since yeah, you teach yeah. so many different things, but give us some examples or, or you know, sure. tell us how you frame.
2: So I'll start with the. The, the first lesson in here, and, and, and I milk that lesson for, you know, and there's so many different permutations of it, but it's essentially a found sound composition project, okay? The idea is they create music using sounds that they find around the classroom, and if you have instruments, great, that's a great start, but essentially they have to create a 15-second piece of music using whatever instruments, you know, you want to designate to them. And they have to write it down. But they get to figure out how to write it down. They can use however they want. And I always explain it to them. You know, if an alien were to come down and they saw your paper and they wanted to play your piece of music, could they play it how, you know, you heard it in your, uh, how, you, how you played it, how you heard it in your head and how you wrote it down? So getting them to write down what, what they played, you know, it's tricky for them. Um, And it's a nice precursor to explain to them, hey, here's why we have music notation, you know, and then you can justify, hey, this quarter note kind of, it solves a problem, you know, this problem of how do we, how long do we hit this note? How many do we hit? Well, here's what people have developed, and it's a common language among us. So so that's kind of a first one that I start off with, and then I do different variations like I'll, uh, sorry, there's a fly in here. (laughs) Um, One thing I like doing is giving them short stories. I don't know if I have, oh, I do have that. So I have this, uh, it's like a little Disney book, Disney storybook collection. And, you know, in small groups, they'll, they'll pick a story and then they have to write the music to go along with it. Um, so that's usually pretty fun. Uh, so they have, so they have a narrator, and then they kind of play the sound effects or the you know music to match the mood, or the opposite. Uh, I'll give them a listening playlist of some jazz, some classical stuff. and uh, Then they have to write a story that matches the mood of the music, so they're being creative in that sense. So those are some some ideas that kind of come to my head right now.
1: What age groups would you do those with?
2: Uh, so with the writing kind of works best with second and third on, up. you know, uh, you, you can differentiate this by, you know, Hey, make a comic book, you know, that matches the music, you know, so there's different ways of doing that. So I usually start with, um, getting them to figure out how to write down sounds. So I'll go around and they all have whiteboards and then I'll, um, play some sounds, and then, hey, how would you write this sound down, you know, using different shapes and things like that. So really getting them to think about, think in terms of sound, not in terms of words or uh, to some degree symbols, but just sort of getting them thinking in sound, and sounds go high, sounds go low, and they're short, and yeah. they're long, and they're wiggly, and all that. Yeah. Um, so I'll kind of start off with that. Um I, I I do I, want, I do kind of want to throw this out, so I <laughs> I have them explore it, and, and I find this what explore is kind of what it is. Hey, go and try out instruments, and to many music teachers that might be ah oh, like that sounds chaotic. Like, well, you know, it, it it's organized chaos. That's what I always say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of go through the, some of these rules. Uh, you know, don't mark the instruments. Don't go gorilla, and you can imagine don't go gorilla. You know, don't go banging on the instruments. <laughs> Um, but just getting them, hey, ex- getting them used to freely around the classroom using designated instruments and trying them out, checking out the sounds, because um, you know that's all they that's all they can think about when you start talking about composing. And hey, I want to use that, I want to use that instrument. Like this solves so many problems. Um, and then we start to organize. Hey, how can we start organizing sound? And that's really what composing is. And improvisation, you're just organizing sound. And start to learn how to do that and so we got exploration then we go to writing down sounds and then uh, um yeah and then there's so many different variations then we could talk about colors hey how can we mm-hmm. use colors in this process and um anyway i feel like i'm starting to ramble but that kind of gives you an idea <laughs> of, of where, where i like to go with this so
0: yeah
1: that's that's really neat how you're not telling the kids, okay, when you hear this sound, this is what it needs to look like on your page, or you're not even telling them really what you're not telling them much of anything. You're letting them figure it out on their own. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's times when you, when you might go back and say, okay, now that we've explored, here's some information you should know. But just the fact that the kids can really discover that on their own is huge.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Peter Webster, so he's sort of the, uh, I don't know if he's the originator of the term creative thinking in music, but he's really done a lot of work on that. You know, he talks about, um, uh, he, he describes it as blending imaginative kind of thought with knowledge and skills. Right. So it's kind of a back and forth. So it's not like it's just free, you know, free exploration the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: you can start to build in these kinds of uh, skills and things like that. Um, and, and even like, uh, OK, let's just say with older students, like I did this one year with band, uh, my, my fifth grade beginning band. I like, OK, we know we're learning how to play an instrument and that's very teacher directed, very like there's kind of a one way to do this in, 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 in many ways. Um, but then I would, uh, one year I included a lot of, uh, etudes. So I said, okay, we learned our first note. We learned a quarter note, half note. All right. You're going to create a eight measure composition, you know, an etude, a study using these parameters. Um, you know, so kind of building in that, those creative capacities in them. And then once we learned two notes, all right, now you're going to create a song using two notes. Um, so there's ways to do it in ensembles as well. That can, uh, that could be beneficial. To the yeah. students. You know, it's not just a waste of time.
1: No, because you're reinforcing the skills that you're already working on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 exactly how you just described it. Oh, we've learned these notes. Now use that to create something. And yeah. that's just that's such a good way to weave that in.
0: Yeah, And I think, too, from the teacher perspective, what I heard you say, as another general music teacher myself, like, I've, you know, there's lots of um books out there that I can use for kids to, like, read a story and have them play instruments with the story. Yeah. But, it, you know, in the teacher manual, it's like, well, when the witch comes in, you're going to be a glockenspiel in it. When this comes in, you make the tone block go. And again, it's like. We could do it that way, or we could simply flip it. Like I guess what I'm trying to say is the the activity of pulling out a Disney story or comic strip, whatever it is for their reading level, and then having them add the instrument isn't very different from that lesson that I was just talking about, but it's just that simple flip of... You decide what makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. you pick the sounds, the timbers that you want to use. Why did you choose those timbers? Oh, that's what composers do, right? When right. they're going to compose something, they have these things in mind when they're when they're creating it, right? right. So, I think it's just sometimes we think like, oh, I, I'm going to have them try this thing that you know, some of the things you mentioned, and it's it's it really is just a a, a little switch in your instruction and your thinking.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: that's cool,
2: yeah. and you're one thing I love I, I I love to kind of talk about this term with the kids, even though they don't always get it right away, but I tell them you're orchestrating mm-hmm. this is this is what people learn to do in college <laughs> and you'd be you know what I mean? like you're learning how to combine these different in, these instruments up in different ways. And it's hard that that is not an easy thing to do. You're learning how to orchestrate uh, in any sort of genre um. So you're you're sort of thinking at that macro level, not just hey, does this sound high or low, but you're thinking of organizing all of these instruments together.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so you can kind of tackle that piece as well. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you made me think of um, when you. I've I've gotten asked this before. You know, what What do students learn from, you know, being creative, or what do they get out of it, or, or you know, how how are they, while no little teacher asks, hey, how do they meet these standards, you know, they may be implying, hey, how do they, how do I still get what I want out of them to learn these specific skills? And another lens through which I'd like to, while I don't observe classrooms a whole lot, when I do get a chance, I always try to think, um, I always try to observe it with with, with this lens. That is, are we meeting Are we meeting their needs what they need now or what they need when they're done with school, right? Because I had a wonderful professor. He asked, you know, how much of what we're teaching is just to help them get better at schooling? And it's something I think about in my music classroom. Uh, I, I guess my point, what I'm trying to say is, Sometimes what kids need in that moment is to just be creative and it doesn't necessarily have to have any like grand purpose or teach a grand skill, but just the act of being creative is what they need now. And that may not help them out in some direct way when they're in high school or in the future, but it's what they need now. Um, and so that's just kind of what I oftentimes what I think of like, you know, what do they need now and what's going to set them up for, to learning this skill in, in the future? What, uh, does that kind of make yeah. sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I guess the question is like when you engage them in these creative thinking and, and, and you um you know empower them with these um choices, right? These decisions in the class, like what kind of um outcomes do you see in kids? Like is there a difference from when you know doing it a traditional way to, you know, doing it this way? Mm-hmm. You know, in the in what you see as the kids and the kids? Yeah.
2: Um, there's this, there's this, uh, the term I love, it's collateral learning, right? It's, you know, the fancy term would be the implicit curriculum, but <laughs> I, I just love this collateral learning because it has, it makes you feel like, oh, it's like a grenade that went off and then we'll just <laughs> see what kids learn. Um, but right. But w- what's the collateral learning that's happening? Oh, they're learning that their decisions do have value and are important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe there's others that you can think of, but, but but there's collateral learning. There's always collateral learning going on, you know, not just what is explicitly taught, um, but when you give them these opportunities, that maybe there's other um, unknown consequences. You know, whether or not they're good or bad doesn't matter. Like there are other consequences of of you know who's again who's making those decisions, the creative decisions in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, and I think what you um, brought up about um, the the chaos the organized chaos in the room, right? Like the level of energy might be high, but like it's very focused, right? Mm-hmm. So the kids are just so engaged because right. let's try this. Let's try this instrument. Oh, I, I know this, you know, this instrument's what I want to use and I'm gonna make long sound, whatever. Right. But like right, it's just, right. they they they're really into it because they're they're able to make those decisions yeah. themselves.
2: It, and Tini, teeny- Music teachers listening, they may be thinking like, okay, how am I going to do that? And then not turn into total chaos, right? So I'll kind of explain my process. I'll set them up. I'll say, okay, you know what? You're going to try out these instruments. I'll go through these four rules. And I know full well that 30 seconds in, I'm going to have to bring them back to the carpet. and explain. (laughs) I I know fully well I'm going to have to do that. I already know. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. So I give them a chance. They're going to mess up. That's okay you know, rarely do I have a class who gets it right the first time. And when I do, it's like, oh, wow. You know, okay, everybody come back. Why are we back? Oh, because people were running or people were going guerrilla on the instrument. Okay. Just a reminder when we play, you know, and then we'll go back and go try it again. And then I'll see other issues and then, all right, let's all come back. Okay. Here's what we need to fix. Um, I'm very much, I would say there's two kinds of people. There's the people, when they go up to a pool, you know, they'll put one foot in and just kind of, you know, some teachers are like that. You know, they'll, they'll spend 25 minutes explaining the instructions. And then by then the kids are like, ah, you know, part of me is like, here's some basic instructions. Go and they're going to do all these other things kind of as long as it doesn't break the instrument. All right, let's come back and let's refine. Right. So the, the other person and then that analogy is the person who just dives in to the pool. I'm um, kind of a dive in kind of person, you know. Mm-hmm. You get about five minutes of kids' attention and then you're going to start to lose them. I'm thinking the younger kids, um, right? So go try it out. All right, let's come back. Let's refine this process. Um, so so there is a way to uh, include exploration in your classroom in a way that's safe for all yeah. parties and instruments.
1: <laughs> if someone wanted to like dip their toe in tomorrow, like just do something, what would what would that first little step be?
2: Yeah, uh, I would – it's that's, that's no, hard, hard not knowing what age. Uh, just getting them cr- – create something that – using a concept that they're teaching them. If it's quarter note, like, okay, write – alternate between quarter notes and rest. Write, write your own pattern and then hold it up. All right, I'm going to go – I'm going to play a couple on my trumpet. Hey, I'm going to play yours. Oh, cool. That's really cool. Um, so that might be an easy thing to do. Even band can do that, you know, give them whiteboards or a piece of paper. Hey, write down you – know, just using letters – C, D, E, different combinations, and then partner up and play it it for your partner, you know. Um, That would be my go-to, and I think that should be a regular part of teaching throughout the year, but that's something I think is very doable.
1: Yeah that's great because it's because if you've if you haven't taught in that way sometimes it can be scary to think about doing some big huge project right away but right. but what you're suggesting is just one little thing we try we we realize we can do it mm-hmm. and then we can start taking more steps
2: yeah, yeah yeah that's perfect yeah so like i also teach an ukulele quite a quite a bit of ukulele here at my new school even more than before Uh, But I love having them to do ukulele compositions. So I just talk Mm -hmm. to them, okay, here's a slash. That means a beat. You know, here's use the chords that you know. So it's kind of self-differentiated. Tell them you have to be able to play it. Right? All right. If you only know two chords, all right. Hey, (laughs) if you only know one chord, all right, then, you know, do the chord. And I teach them a ghost strum. Like anybody can do that. Just a little mute the strings. Um, And so I've been doing compositions with that. So if you're doing like a guitar or ukulele class, totally doable. Give them a class period. You're going to create something and you're going to play it for the class. And I would just tell them what you play has to match what you wrote down. So there's the challenge right there. And that's where the refining and, and revision process would come in. Hey, what you play doesn't match what you wrote. You know, mm-hmm. Here's what you wrote. I'm going to play what you wrote. Does that sound like what you played? Oh no. Okay. So you know, yeah. you know kind of go from there. So
1: Yeah. And that's great because the kids can really self-select. Like you said, if they know one chord, they can use one chord or that the, the right. student who's more advanced and, and knows more can really can do that. So you're not limiting them and saying, oh, you must use these two chords only. <laughs> they <Yeah. can> really...
2: <laughs> Although some limiting is important. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe start with, hey, let you can use whatever you want. You can make up symbols and that could be, you know, padding the ukulele or whatever. And if it does go south, which sometimes it does because then they, you know, too many decisions, then we say, hey we tried it and look what happened now i'm going to tr- let's let's do a little game here we're going to limit it to just this and this yeah you know yeah. um so yeah, there's,
1: there's there's creativity within constraint for sure
2: yeah, yeah right that's yeah i love it
0: yeah, which I think also leads into this next question that we've been asking all of our our guests um, lately is this, um, how do you build relationships with students? Because I'm thinking, you know, when you really know your kids, then you also know where the, the kind of that sweet spot is for the decisions, like how many decisions do I let them yeah. have, right? So how do you build relationships with your students?
2: Over many years. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I remember even in my evaluations with my principal, it's always like, hey, how are you doing? How are you building relationships with your students? Like I never knew how to answer that because I see them depending on the school once or twice a week. You know, my old school, it was twice a week, which is great. You see them twice a week for 40 minutes. You could really do a lot. Um, I realized, I guess my short answer is I build relationships with them over years, right? At my old school, uh, when I started, I had a kindergarten class, and then when I left, they graduated eighth grade. And many of them I had for seven or eight years of that. And so, while there's never, while it's rare that I get, you know, because I teach four or five hundred students a week, rare that I get that deep connection with one student. With all students, so you know, maybe there's a few here and there, but the fact that I've had them year after year, um, it's, it's it's kind of a powerful. Uh, relationship building in that aspect, right? So I don't have them; I don't know them as well as their homeroom teacher that one year. But after five or six years, you know, they're I got to the point where, like, hey, I have this class coming in. I know where we're going to start. We can just hit the ground running. They know when they come into my classroom, voices are off, and when they know we go outside and we practice and we do that again. That's just something that's important to me, you know, for various reasons. You know, so they they already know that. So we can hit the ground running. They've already done these found sound compositions. So I know, hey, remember we did this? Hey, here's how we're going to build on it. Or we're going to work on this concept. Um, So kind of over the long term, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, And I realize coming to my new school where every student was new, I realize how important those relationships were. And when they're not there, it's not that we have a bad relationship. There's just no relationship, you know. They haven't earned my trust. I haven't earned earned their trust. Um, it's like wow, this this I didn't realize what I had going for me. And there's something powerful about kind of being at a place for for a while and get to know those students as they grow up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the nice things that you know we get to do as music teachers is we can right. build those those long relationships.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because people are like, you know, how how do you get kids enthusiastic about music? And like, well, they're already enthusiastic about it. I just have to – my job is to make them not hate it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's Every kid loves music. Hey, I want to – every kid wants to do music. Um, And so that kind of helps too. The enthusiasm is generally there. You just try not to squash it.
1: And I think – by giving them the freedom to make decisions and to think creatively and to do things like that. I know you're helping. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I know you have lots of things going on this weekend. So uh, if people wanted to connect with you and learn more about your work, how could they do that?
2: Yeah, um, that's a good question. I have a website, although it's more geared towards kind of piano lessons right now, which I'm just sort of doing minimal of. Yeah, so you can kind of check out the website. I've been meaning to add like a research page on there. I might be hidden. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll. this will make me add it to there. Uh, so check out the okay. website maybe in a week. <laughs> um, Perfect. I'm sure EBSCO. if you look up my name, there's a couple of articles. Um, so you can look that up. Um, you know, if people have any questions or if you ever want to connect, they could always email me, rogerkoss.com. Uh, at gmail.com. And I'm always more than happy to share what's worked for me and what doesn't. Um, And and I don't – I guess I do have to say this. I I don't want to make it seem like I just kind of have everything figured out. As a teacher, I don't. You know, like there's others – we could spend a whole podcast talking about things that I struggle with in terms of getting this creative stuff in the classroom and what hasn't worked. Um, So if somebody wants to know what hasn't worked, they can – call me and yeah. <laughs> I'll explain well, to them. <laughs>
1: but I, th- I think that's, that's how you know you're on a good, a good path, right? When you're finding yeah. things that don't work and you just keep trying until you right, get, right. get the one that does. So, yeah. That's so, yeah, awesome. Very cool. We'll make sure we put links to all that stuff in the, in the notes if anyone wants to get in contact.
2: Yeah, yeah of course. Thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you
1: so much. We, yeah. this is fun and it's just always so neat to hear what people are doing in their classrooms and how it's working with kids. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining
0: us. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'd also love for you to consider sharing this podcast with a friend and leaving a positive review. That's one of the best ways to get this message to new listeners.